Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And this week we journey into H.H. Holmes Part 2. But before we do that, I want to play you a promo for a new podcast from my new friend, J.D. I am your host, J.D. Horror, and this is True Crime Horror Story, a true crime podcast designed like an anthology horror movie. It is definitely not for the faint of heart and won't be played for laughs. Join us on July 11th, 2019 for the debut episode. In season one, we will highlight both notorious and obscure incidents of real-life murder. From world-famous psychopaths like the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez, to lesser-known evils that you may not have heard of, but have effects just as catastrophic for the victims and their families. Subscribe now wherever podcasts can be consumed, and check out our website at www.truecrimehorrorstory.com and Instagram at True Crime Horror Story. True Crime Horror Story. Sometimes truth is more brutal than fiction. When I started doing research on H.H. Holmes, I was kind of following along with what everyone else had done in a podcast or YouTube video or documentary on him. I counted over 10 books written on him, and there are numerous, and I mean numerous, newspaper articles that mention him or the murder castle over the span of the last hundred and almost 50 years. As always, when I when I do the stories, I do my genealogy slash ancestry search. Because like I said before, I like to find things that the people that I'm talking about or the story that I'm telling have documents that they've signed or census reports that they're listed on because it makes them more real rather than just a headline. But while doing this, I started wondering how much of the story of H.H. Holmes was newspaper fodder and folklore. So many things written about him seem, I don't i don't know how to explain it, but more publicized rather than the retelling of history. I did um, keep researching and I did find that he and his family tree is related to Meghan Merkel. That's the royal lady. Are you acting like you don't know who she is? Because I am the worst with celebrity names. Like Meghan, I truly don't. She married Prince Harry. That was always my plans for you. Oh, yeah. Well, Sorry, I know. She took him away. I have an uh, obsession with her anyways. The normal girl from America. Oh, uh, was she? The she's the actress too, right? right? Before she you was. You are making me really sad right I'm now. I'm sorry. I, I don't, I can't keep up with any of that stuff. It just, in one ear, out the other. But she, mm. Like when the royal wedding, everyone watches royal weddings. I don't. She was like, the story itself of her. Mary, she wasn't royal. I mean, she was just a regular girl who married a prince. I mean, not so regular, but I mean, she was an actress and living in Hollywood and making shit tons of money. But yeah, I mean, she wasn't money. like a girl working at Starbucks or anything. But still, it, who do you know? You know all the. I bet you can name all the Kardashians. Yeah, but <laughs> that's not something you should be proud of. None of the kids, though. And I just had this conversation with someone recently. What that the, like. Someone was talking about all the kids that they have, all the Kardashian like babies. No, I just didn't even know that they had. Aren't they all named all North, kids? South, East, West, or no. something like that? Apple. No. Um, she's related to H. H. Holmes' fourth or fifth cousins, four times removed. They share her fifth or sixth great grandfather. How many like years apart is that? I said 150. It's still like 150 years. What do you mean? Between her and him? Well, minus, what is she, 32 or 28 know. or something? I don't know. I don't, I'm, my obsession with her is not like I know her date of birth, but it's like his fourth great grandfather and her fifth or sixth or something. So if you look at the family tree, she's dropped way down and he's, you know, in the middle. So they're only and, two grandparents apart. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. I don't know how it even works. I'll show you a picture. Um, but because while I was doing that, I 
found the History Channel did a 10 episode series called American Ripper. And the series is centers on Jeff Mudgett, who is the great great grandson of H.H. H. Holmes. And he, I think I mentioned in the first episode that Clara Levering had a son named Robert. He's directly descended from that. His dad is the son of Robert, who is the son of H.H. H. Holmes. No, that's clear, right? That's sure. only a couple stuff. <laughs> I can't even figure out our own family. I don't even know who my cousins are, my first or my second or my well, last. Anytime I you're know. ready, I can open up the computer and just show you like in writing. Whenever you, you want to understand it. You're a smart okay. girl. You'll get it. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a direct descendant of H.H. H. Holmes. That is his great-great-grandfather. Great-great-grandfather, like, like you know who your great-great-grandfather is, Al? He's my great-great? He's your great no, he's my great great grandfather. Okay, yes. well, his dad would be your great great grandfather. Got it. So, um, Jeffrey Mudgett, his great great grandfather is H. H. Holmes. Got it. Herman Mudgett, aka H. H. Holmes. So, but I had mentioned in the first episode that Clara Levering had left him. He was abusing her, and they had a son together named Robert. He went on to become a CPA. He had a family, and through that family is Jeff Mudgett. And Jeff Mudgett not only believes that his great-great-grandfather was the owner of the murder castle and America's first serial killer. He thinks that H.H. Holmes is Jack the Ripper himself. Why does he think that? He believes during his own research, and they show this in the whole um, History Channel series, that his great-great-grandfather, H.H. Holmes, was missing in America for a time span where they couldn't find documents or any record of him being in America. And it just so happens at the time that they can't find him in America, they found him in London. And during the time that he was in London, because they even found ship manifest with his aliases, because he had so many different aliases, they found ship manifest with his name listed on the like the itinerary that he was on board these ships. And it just so happens that Jack the Ripper is blamed technically for 11 murders in London between the years of 1888 and 1891. But when you get further in the research, the experts only believe that he killed five people, five women, all prostitutes in London, the Whitechapel area. They know for sure that those five murders are connected and they were committed between August of 1888 and November of 1888. And that is a time span that Jeff Mudgett believes that H.H. Holmes was missing from America, too. And that's the ship manifest that they found also. We know that H.H. Holmes had a surgical background, particularly dissection. And Jack the Ripper murders are known for being committed by someone who had a surgical background. You knew that part, right? Yeah, I knew that. So it kind of turned all my research upside down because I'm like, what did I miss that they could find that documents were missing during this time. I mean, of course, he did way deeper research and years and years and not a week like me. But it seems kind of weird that everything had found had not actually mentioned that they thought that he was Jack the Ripper too. So kind of on a fluke, I messaged one of the guys that was in the West, the History Channel, because I watched the whole 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. I messaged, I found one of the guys, um, Adam Seltzer, he has a website called Mysterious Chicago, and he's a tour guide, an author, and a speaker for more than a decade, and regularly appears on the History Channel and the Travel Channel as an expert on H.H. H. Holmes, and he agreed to let me interview him. So that's what we're going to listen to next. Well, wait, before we start, let's do a word from our sponsors. Hello? Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah. So where do you hear your voice after I stayed up till 1 a.m. last night watching the History Channel? 
I have to, my first question is not even about the um, H.H. Holmes. It's okay. about, it's about the pipe. You have a pipe with you in every scene in the History <laughs> Channel. Yeah, it's a prop. Is it? I was going to say, because it can't be easy to find tobacco or pipes anymore. Oh no! It's, it's I live in a large city. It's easy to find these things. Is it? Um, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna smoke it on television. I'm not sure you're even allowed to do that. But yeah, it was a a good way to have something to fidget with and a weird attempt to look distinguished. It worked because I obviously zoned in on it and haven't let it go. Twenty four hours later. <laughs> How are you? I'm pretty well, and you? I'm good. Okay, so I guess I should do an introduction. If I inter- it's Adam Seltzer, correct? That's yeah. what I'm saying, right? Okay. I'm actually very nervous, and I don't know why I don't typically get nervous, but I'm nervous right now. I am very grand, you know. You are really? <laughs> I'm very grand. Yeah, you, I'm sure your tours are amazing. I literally read every single tiny bit of your website wow. yesterday. And, yeah. Okay, I am here with Adam Seltzer, author and historian, and you wrote the book H.H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil. That's right. What made you interested in H.H. Holmes? Well, really, I kind of fell into it. About 15 years ago, I was working for a ghost tour company that wanted to start doing tours based on the book Devil in the White City, which is all about Holmes. So I read the book, but it mostly took place in one location. It was hard to work a two-hour, two- or three-hour tour based on the book because we, there weren't too many places to go. So really, I just started digging in on research about the guy, just looking for more things to talk about on tours. But it turned out they had spilled so much ink about this guy back in the day. And the legend has evolved so much to where we hear it now. And a lot of it is not true, correct? Oh, almost none of it, yeah. <laughs> no, almost none of it? Don't say that. I, I, I tend to break people's heart with this stuff, but no, the man never operated a hotel. His building never had any torture equipment. There was no gas chamber, uh, no data that he was actually preying on World's Fair victims, okay. World's Fair patrons. <laughs> so. Okay, so, oh my gosh, like I was not expecting this. So you're saying that the murder castle was never set, there was no such thing as a murder castle. Uh, there was a building that they called the Holmes Castle, but it's um, it was never outfitted as a hotel. He pretended he was going to open a hotel for a while, but it was really just um, a scheme to swindle suppliers and investors more than anything else. But then there was a, this after they found out the guy had killed a few people, they went poking around the place. And really, if you think about it, you could start a murder castle from the things you find at home. They would find stuff like a rope and say maybe he was hanging people. And they'd find, like, gas lines that were used for heating and light that say, gas, he must have been gassing people. So none of that is true. There wasn't a room where he actually gassed people then. There doesn't appear to have been, no. There there was a, a walk-in vault that he was kind of fond of telling people was soundproof, and it never really occurred to anybody to wonder what the industrial use of that would have been. But evidence that he actually killed anybody in them is really strictly speculation. So did he kill? That was one of my questions that I had. Did he actually kill anybody in that in that building? In the building, it's hard to say. Um, there are five or six possible victims that he theoretically could have killed there. A couple of them I can't imagine he would have. Um, my estimate would be one to three people, probably. Actually in the castle? Yeah. And who do you think those even, were? Uh, probably Julian Pearl Connor and possibly Emmeline Segrand. But even even okay. then, I pro- I imagine he probably would have gone off site for it. And so, so okay, that leads me to the next question because you do the tours. Do you do yeah. a homes an actual homes tour? Okay, so is I do two different ones. Yeah. 
the building where now everybody reports that the building is actually the post office. The current post office is on the footprint of the old building. It, That's not true. Nuts. There's about four feet of overlap. Most of the castle building would have been in the grassy knoll next to where the post office is now. So there's always got to be a grassy knoll in these stories. <laughs> is there is there any stories of hauntings in the post office? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, there wasn't for a really long time until people started talking about this kind of thing. But Rory, the old security guard there, told me he would get freaked out now and then. But more more freaked out by the smells down in the basement than anything else. But I don't know. You might you might have seen the video clips where I played the audio recording from down there. Yeah, but that it can always be. Oh, it can always turn out to be something else. Yeah. Right. But I mean, so, what I always tell people is if you're not willing to have your ghost evidence turn out to be something else, find a different hobby. Because these, these things all, even the things that can go unexplained for the longest time, there's always another explanation. Right. Now, your fascination with Holmes wasn't with him particularly. It was because you were already doing tours on him and kind of got wrapped up in it. I kind of got wrapped up in it, yeah. Okay. So do you, the, I've seen listed places that you're actually an expert on H.H. H. Holmes. I would do say you, so. You would. Okay, I have a question then. During sure. during one, I always say a lot of questions. I want to call you. Um, sure. During one of the confessions, like I keep finding different locations of the the confessions, and some of them say that they're actually written by him. Others say that newspapers got wind of him giving a confession and kind of like exaggerated what he was saying. How many of how many confessions did he actually give? Well, it, it kind of depends on what you count as a confession. There were a lot of, like, one-pagers that he wrote for detectives and things that he said on the scaffold and things that he said at different times. So really, there were there were several little confessions. The one big one that they talk about, it's kind of complicated. Uh, after it was determined that he was definitely going to hang, and that's kind of a spoiler for anyone who doesn't know the story, but he started getting a lot of offers to write a big confession. The New York World came and offered him X amount of money, and he turned them down. He was talking with some other papers that I guess were offering him more money. So the New York World uh, just went ahead and announced Holmes has written a confession. Here's what he'll be confessing. And the data they gave was just total crap. They had him, like, confessing to killing Patrick Quinlan, who anybody who followed the case even casually would have known was still alive at the time. Right. Um, but after that, they said he was going to be confessing to 20 people. After that, Holmes couldn't very well confess to killing fewer than 20 people or it would have been hugely anticlimactic for people. So a few weeks later, his was published jointly in the Philadelphia Inquirer and the New York Journal. The Inquirer version was a little more detailed. They left out, there were some sections left out of the journal version. Most of the other papers that covered it published the journal one. And he ended up confessing to 27 people. Um, but at least half a dozen were still alive. Several others seem to have been um, seem to have been entirely fictional. There's the, it, does, it didn't really add anything about him that we didn't already know, other than like nine or so that we can more or less confirm. But besides that, also at the same time, there were other Philadelphia papers, like rival papers, that put out their own versions that most likely they were just making up. Some of them were had enough of the data that they must must have seen early pages or something. And then there was a paper that said that Holmes wrote all of them in his various moods. So I guess I have a specific question about one. It, this one was, I want to say, I'm sorry, I've literally immersed myself in anything Holmes for like the last eight days. So okay. I'm not certainly where I heard this at, but I'm pretty sure it was on the History Channel during the special, the American Ripper story. Okay. And I think it was Jeff Metzit that was reading it. And it said that he re the one death that he regretted was Minnie. 
And the reason why he regretted that was because he felt like he was in love with her. Was that accurate? Do you think that confession? You know, it's the Minnie is just weird. The whole story about Minnie Williams doesn't fit in with any of the rest of the victims. Everybody who knew her had a different opinion about her. Uh, hard, it's hard to confirm too much about her or how or when she met Holmes. She seems to have known more about what was going on with Holmes and his businesses than other people. Her name is on a lot of paperwork. Uh, and also, Holmes always claimed that she was still a, For the longest time, Holmes was claiming that she was still alive. And if you're finding any other dead bodies, that was her who... who that was Minnie who killed them. And she's just trying to set me up to, to take the uh, blame off of her for the murder of her sister. Um, it got kind of weird. He tried to pin other deaths on her. Yeah, on, on her, on her. Uh, a guy that, she, that he said was her boyfriend who probably did not exist, a guy named, it was a guy named Edward Hatch. And I think it was he just got the name by, like, compiling a couple of names that he saw on one of the, one of the law firms that was suing him in Chicago. It was like uh, Edward Richter and Azel Hatch, I think it was. Um, so I think maybe he just thought somebody might go give them a headache later on. He had a kind of a weird sense of humor with this stuff. So I wouldn't... I'm not sure if he was really in love with Minnie. I kind of doubt that he was in love with Minnie. He was completely... His brain and his soul were broken. How can he have even written? Right. How how could he have experienced such emotions? Right. I don't know. I mean, he had no remorse that I could find about um, Howard Pitzel. But then right. there's one mention of Alice at Pitzel that he... Well, I guess in my reading of it, I kind of read it that he may have felt bad about Alice for some reason. Yeah, well... I, I know there was some data that when the day Julia disappeared, he seemed really exasperated. And when Benjamin Peitzel was killed, his wife testified that he seemed really frantic and upset. So I don't think he really enjoyed killing the people exactly. Um, it was just a chore to him, really. And it was, his bottom line wasn't, okay, it, sometimes he's portrayed as being this monster who was infatuated with death and dissection and bodies. And then other ways he's portrayed as being just money hungry. His bottom line was making money, getting money in any way, shape, or form, and it was a game to him. They just happened to be tragic extra that he had to kill yeah, them because it was, they were in his way. I, th I think that's certainly the case. He was just people that they needed to get out of the way. Uh, but in the 90s, when people started becoming aware of the term serial killer, a couple of writers, uh, including most notably Eric Larson, kind of imagined what about this old Holmes guy from history based on what was written about him in the 40s. He sounds like he might fit the model of serial killer. Um, so a lot of people have kind of speculated that that was what was going. But as, as we dig more into the files and find out more about the guy, and uh, it doesn't really line up as well as people think it does. So he was more of just a diabolical swindler than he. Yeah, well, honestly, I don't think killer. he was. Even, I don't think he was even that good of a swindler. Honestly, he was a very audacious swindler, but he didn't get away with much. I, from what I was able to find in the legal archives in Chicago, he was sued at least sixty times, which is it works out like every six weeks he got sued again. So a better swindler would probably cover that up. Right, he probably would. He just found the right people at the right time to get money out of them, or whatever he was going right. to do, and then moved on to the next person, didn't really cover his own tracks. So right. He wasn't smart either. Not particularly. But I think of a lot of it was he, we, we kind of exaggerate his connection to the World's Fair, but one of the reasons he was able to swindle people so well is that everybody in Chicago was planning to get rich off of the World's Fair. So he could, like, show up at the furniture company with just a letter saying, please give this guy all your money, signed H.S. Campbell. And that worked like a credit card. So was he as charming as they say that he was? Uh, he must have been. 
he certainly wasn't at medical school. Everybody at medical school thought he was a total slime ball. But some, something happened in the years in the year or two after medical school, and certainly back in New Hampshire, they remembered that the ladies loved him. In Chicago, the ladies loved him. So he had some kind of debonair there to him. He, he must have been able to turn on the charm, yeah. Now, do you believe that he had anything to do with the disappearance of um, one of his cousins? I know that one said it was his cousin Mary, and then the other one they found record of a boy cousin that went was drowned. Do you think that he had any part I can't, in that? I, I very much doubt it. I, I looked into it just briefly and found that it was um, – there was nothing really we could, we could tie it to it. Some of it didn't really hold up at all, like the person never seems to have existed. I can't remember all of the details right now. So you don't even think that he was actually America's first serial killer? Oh, he wasn't even the first serial killer in Chicago. <laughs> So not even that's, just the, only, the first serial killer in America. He wasn't even the first. No, I mean, I mean Thomas Thomas Neil Cream was active in Chicago ten years before he was. Uh, not to mention the like the first guy hanged in Chicago. They'd found this woman brutally murdered. He was convicted of it, and he insisted in, in court. Well, he insisted when he was in prison. I I really didn't murder her, but I have murdered several other people before. So the hanging is probably fair. And well, that sounds like a serial. We don't know much about the guy, but that sounds like a serial killer to me. Right, like he and he was way before Holmes. That was like yeah, forty, fifty years before Holmes. Okay, well I don't want to go backwards, but I forgot to ask you about this. Patrick Clinley sure. was his best, was like his his assistant. He was like his janitor, yeah. Now, do you think he had anything to do with the death that did occur inside the castle, um, the hotel, or whatever it was? I I. I think he must have known more of what was going on. I don't know if he actually thought anybody had been murdered in the place. I know that he had a, fall, a couple of falling out, fallings out with Holmes over the years, uh, but I also think that he, the police definitely thought that he was tipping Holmes off that the detectives were following him. But he, as far as he knew, it was just swindling and stuff. And how many aliases did H.H. Holmes have, do you think? Um, well, it kind of depends. There were only a handful that he really used around Chicago with any regularity. Um, but at least half a dozen that came up a lot. Plus, a lot of times when he was traveling around with the Peitzel kids, he would just put a different name in the hotel register. So, like, his aliases could have just been a name change for the day. Yeah, a lot, of them, were just, a lot of them A lot of them were just whatever occurred to him that day. And it's something that I had read said that a lot of his issues came from his upbringing, that is, like, I read one thing that his father was abusive, his mother was overbearing, but then another thing says it's the complete opposite, that he had a completely yeah, we, we normal have, childhood. Yeah, all available data is that he that he seems to have had a reasonably normal childhood. Um, the, the thing about his father being abusive is just something we've kind of imagined because we see that pattern a lot in other serial killers. And a lot of it, it comes from the uh, the blanks when Eric Larson in Devil in the White City is describing Holmes' childhood. He said a lot of things like that because he's just kind of filling in the blanks based on other patterns. If you read the end notes, he's pretty upfront about which parts he's just making up. Oh, shit. I just made that. I wrote a book, but part of this is made up, so. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, so then I guess you probably don't believe in the Holmes curse either then. Well, the Holmes curse, uh, when I first read about that, I, I thought it might be something that was just made up in the 1990s. But that, that really was something that the newspapers talked about a lot over the course of about 20 years. It's part of why the story of Holmes survived even as well as it did, because every time somebody associated with Holmes would die, the newspapers would bring the whole thing back. Now, that's not to say I think there was really anything supernatural going on. For one thing, most of it was before he even had been executed. 
And then it's also, there's a lot of discrepancies about who died and who didn't. There's a lot of people that you would really think um, if he was out cursing people and getting revenge on people, the people who would have gone down but didn't. A lot of it is like random people, people who happened to be on the jury, people that he had known once. And his wife, Georgiana, she testified against him. Right. And she she lived another 60 years or so, so. And they never had children. Uh, no, they never had children. And she, some people allude to the fact that the reason she testified against him was because she was angry that he was married to two other women. Yeah, well, she, when she first found that out, there's a really heartbreaking letter that she wrote to him that was uh, stolen out of his cell and published in a couple of Philadelphia papers. And at that time, she knew that he had had all these other wives, but wasn't quite sure that he was a murderer yet. He, he, she, he was still saying the kids are off alive someplace. And she said it was to the effect of, I still love you, but it's like when our idols smash, we still love the shattered pieces, but it's never quite the same. But about a week after that, about a week after that, they did find the kids' bodies, and that was was when she turned on him. And why did he kill the Pitzel kids? Because they just knew too much? They they knew too much, yeah. Why did Mrs. Pitzel, her name was Carrie Pitzel? Carrie, yeah. Why did she let him take the kids? Um... I'm not really sure, partly because she couldn't really, she wasn't really in much of a position to take care of them herself. And he, she told, he told her that he was going to like get her to a, get him to a, off to a school someplace. Well, initially he said they were going to go meet up with their father. She thought that Ben was still alive at the time. And Ben actually worked with him a lot before this. He seems to have, yeah. There's um, a number of bits of that. Ben was actually a more famous criminal than Holmes was as of 1893. Uh, he'd been arrested for passing a whole lot of bad checks in Terre Haute, Indiana. So his wife knew that he wasn't a great guy to begin with. Yeah, I, I would certainly say that. She mentioned him having trouble with drinking. She had she had been wrapped up in a lot of the schemes that she didn't want anything to do with. And she well, she, what she thought the plan was, she thought the plan was that they were going to Philadelphia to fake Ben's death, and then they would take the life insurance money. And she wanted no part of this plan, but they didn't really give her a choice. That's, it's so crazy. And then she ended up losing three of her children. And the thing with killing Howard, Howard was too young to really understand what was going on. What was the purpose of that? Basically, Alice had probably told him that, yeah, dad's really dead because he identified the body. Holmes was still on the thing, but no, he just faked his death at the time. So he took the lives of three children just to protect himself. Yep. So he was diabolical and devil like. Oh yeah, we're, we're not we're not dealing with uh, a man of pure and impeccable character here. I guess my big question cuz part of my fascination with history is genealogy, is finding out like mm. who our parents are, our grandparents are and further. So I was fascinated by the fact that Jeff Mudgett is the one that did the History Channel special. I actually tried to reach out to him, but he's not that easy to get a hold of. He believed or he per- perpetrates that he believes that Holmes could have been Jack the Ripper. Uh-huh. I get the impression there's no way in hell that you believe that. Yeah, I've, I've got plenty of paperwork putting Holmes in Chicago and New Hampshire during the time of the Ripper murders, really. And he really, Jack the Ripper was doing it because he was a serious, from what we know. Right, well, Jack, Jack the Ripper was, well, we, we can only guess so much, but he was the kind of guy who would hack women absolutely to bits and then leave them in the streets. And presumably women that, he, that were more or less strangers to him. Uh, Holmes was more of a scientific killer. There's actually a great line in one of the uh, newspaper archives. There, was a, there had been a murder up in Wilmette, a suburb where Holmes had lived off and on. Um, so people started saying to the police, hey, do you think he might have done that? And Inspector Fitzpatrick said, no, Holmes was a scientific killer. He would never hack somebody to bits and set fire to their place like that. You might as well just uh, uh, connect him with the Jack the Ripper horror. All the information that we have on Jack the Ripper, there was a psychological aspect to what he did. 
Well, there when, must have been. When, well, yeah. When you talk about um, Holmes and all the information that you're giving me and all the information that I've read, it, that wasn't his first priority. His first priority was money. It's just no. It, it really, it really wasn't his style. That kind of killing. When he when he killed people, he seems to have done it with poison. And it wasn't. Yeah. But do you think that he had a fascination or obsession with um, bodies and dissection and death, like they perpetrate that he did? Um, probably not much more so than your average medical student would. So he was. It was just a means to an end. If he chopped up a body, it wasn't because he was fascinated with dissection or how a body would come apart. Right. The, the only, oven. right. Yeah. The only one that we know of that he that he actually hacked up was uh, Howard Peitzel, and that was to try to get rid of the body, which frankly he did a terrible job of. He didn't he just spread it around on the lawn of the the house. Uh, mostly, well, he 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 shoved him into a chimney and a, a into a stove and set fire to it, and apparently thinking that might cremate the body, which it'll char it. It's not going to cremate anything. Right. That's what I just watched on the History Channel. That it's not—it doesn't even get hot enough to do the kind of right. things that he would. Well, that, that was done. something. It's, it's become very common to say that he was burning people up in the stove, and some people suggested that like the very first day. But within hours, people were coming and saying, "No, you couldn't possibly cremate somebody in a wood-burning stove." It's so shocking because I want it. It's not that I want any of these things to be true. I don't. But it's, right, it's, kind of, it's kind of a letdown that the legend isn't true because I, I always have to like reassure people. No, it's a good thing that another 191 women weren't tortured and murdered. Right, and but you, it's far enough in the past that it feels like fiction. No, I know. I was trying to explain that to someone today because they were like, "Why? What's your story on this week?" And I'm like, "H.H. H. Holmes. I'm like, who's that?" And I'm like, that, "They consider him the first American serial killer." And he kind of looked at me like, "Why do you care about stuff like that?" And I was like, "It's not that I care. It's just that it's not as." I'm not talking about something that happened yesterday. So these people from 150 years ago don't seem like real people. I always tell people, I always, this is the reason I stick with the older ones, is I have such a tendency to be a smartass about things. I have a pretty strict too soon rule. But not many people think stuff from the 1890s is too soon at this point. Right. Like, you can kind of get away and detach yourself a little bit when it's right. something so long ago. So you didn't think that there was any chance that the body buried at, um, was it Holy Cross? Was yeah, not. up in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, I couldn't imagine for a second it wasn't him. There were a lot of witnesses to that execution. And a lot of it were, like, really high-level sources, too. People like various sheriffs, doctors, jurymen, um, members of the press, members of the government, officials from the prison. Um, you would have been having to bribe a lot of people. Several of these, some of these people wouldn't have known it was really Holmes or not when he came onto the scaffold. But quite a few of them knew the guy pretty well and hated his guts. Really? Why did they hate him? Just because of what he had oh, done? Oh, because they, they'd, wor they'd worked against him in court. People who had investigated him. He was he was always sending him off on wild goose chases. So I guess in some ways I said he wasn't very smart earlier, but in a way he was smart. He knew what he was doing. There, there were things that he was there were things that he was smart about. Um, he wasn't a great criminal. But he was. But he, in, he didn't give up. That's for sure. No, he didn't give up. He kept right. at it. I think I think well part of it is just when he was in prison, he was sending people on wild goose chases and changing his story around because he didn't have anything better to do. I guess my that begs the question too that if um he didn't bribe anybody and it was his body that was buried there. What happened to all the money that he made off all these newspapers while he was in prison? My understanding is it went to his family back in New Hampshire. Oh, like and his also, parents were still alive and things yeah, like that? His, his parents, his first wife, his, uh, his son, Robert Mudgett. And there was another... Now, Jeffrey Mudgett, is he related to... He's related to the first wife, Clara Loving? Yeah. 
Loveling? Loverling? Loverling. Loverling. And his daughter with Marta, Mar- what is it? what's the second wife's name? Uh, Murda. Murda. And whatever happened to her? I mean, she, I um, she went on to be a teacher or something, but... Yeah, she and she and, um, she and and Murda both became teachers in Minnesota. Then she got really... Uh, Lucy got really involved in the Red Cross. She married a couple of times. The, uh, the only child she had was stillborn. Uh, she oh. ended up dying in... She died in California in the 1950s. Oh, wow. In California, there's my connection. Oh, yeah. Well, so, did, you, so did, you know, Georgiana died in California around the same time, too. I've always wondered if they, if they ever knew each other. But I'm not at all sure. Um, it's hard to know if Lucy, the daughter, really understood what was going on. Um, she was only like six at the time. So Jeffrey Mudgett is related to Robert Mudgett. Yeah. And then that family has all the folklore and all the information. Right. Now, I guess I had a question about the History Channel episode. They found a box that supposedly had been left behind when he murdered Howard, and it was a box of photographs. And they say that oh, he yeah. had a fascination with photographs. Is that true? Mm, I'm not sure if he had a fascination with photographs in particular, but beyond beyond anybody else's interest in what was then still kind of a new medium. Uh, the box that they found, that's just kind of weird. There's apparently some kind of Holmes connection, but we couldn't really connect. I, I remember we had a good time going over those photos and trying to, like, match them to all of the different drawings of photos that survive in newspapers. And do you think that one picture was Patrick Quinlan? It was, I think it was another guy named Patrick Quinlan. I, 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 I don't remember the details, but I think they established that. But there was something going on with the museum where they were going to do their own thing with it, so we weren't supposed to talk about it too much. Okay, now, and maybe not allowed to talk about this either, but... Um, for them, in the episode, the smoking gun was a picture of one of the victims of the Chapter the River, and that it could, it was at 64% that it could have been one of the victims. Um, I, I, I didn't really, I wasn't sure I totally bought the analysis thing. It, it depends on how good of a drawing it is, for one thing. Well, right, and 64%, that's exciting yeah, that's not, that it's over 50%, but that's not high. Yeah, but it's, it's not 100%. Right. So you got to see all those actual pictures? Uh, quite a few of them. I don't and think I, don't. I don't know if I saw all of them. There was one of them that looked pretty close to being like the drawing of uh, Julia Connor that goes around. Because there's there's one of the interesting things with Holmes is in the 1890s newspapers had figured out how to do drawings quickly and easily. So you saw a lot more drawings than you would have seen ten years before. But during 1895 and 1896, you never saw photographs in newspapers, or almost never. If this had all happened 10 years later, we would have photographs of everybody. We would have right. pictures of everything. The Chicago Evening American would have published uh, pictures of every tiny piece of evidence, every piece of paperwork. Um, but as it was, we mostly have like drawings of, of, of photographs. And sometimes the, the actual photograph survives, usually not, but they might still be in a drawer someplace. There was one that looked almost, almost enough like the Julia one, but not quite enough that I wanted to say that's definitely her. I guess I have a fascination with old photographs anyway. So for me, to find that box would have just been overwhelming, to know that he had that and held those pictures and looked at those pictures. Assuming, it really, him, assuming, right. assuming it was really his box. Right. So I guess overall, you've kind of shit all over my story. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I tend to do that with Holmes stuff. It's okay, though. But, I mean, he was a character in our past, and he did commit oh, sure. murders, and he was he did kill a He criminal. did kill nine or ten, nine or ten people. There's, there's a couple of babies that I, was, that I would definitely get put a strong baby on. 
But he didn't kill them because he was serial kill- a psychological, anyway, serial killer. He killed them because he doesn't seem way. to have been. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Women that he had gotten pregnant and wanted out of the way. And there's even a chance that he was just that he tried to perform abortions on them and just sucked at it too. <laughs> killed them because it was a dangerous operation. Nobody in medical school thought that he was a particularly good doctor. A couple of the uh, professors even said they only graduated him out of pity. How'd you like to hear that from your doctor? God. <laughs> well, they weren't really that big on being really technically good doctors back then. So no, I mean it was a pretty short course through medical school in those days. I'm curious, whatever happened to Carrie Pitzel? Um, she, I believe, got remarried. She uh, lived to a ripe old age, but nobody, nobody did like a follow up story with her or anything. And I know she, uh, some people have found later photographs of her. And she. She wasn't convicted or anything in her part or knowing or being an accomplice in any of the things that her husband or no, Holmes did. No, well, they, they left her in prison for quite a while, but she was just there kind of pre-trial, and as soon as Holmes was put on trial, they let her out. One of the lawyers offered her services for free. They took her out to dinner. I mean, everybody felt bad about what happened to Carrie. Because she lost three of her children and her husband. She, she lost three of her children and her husband, and also they, they knew that she wasn't a big conspirator here. They, she knew that, they knew that she'd been dragged along unwillingly in the whole thing. I'm curious about her now. Now I want to look up her and see what happened to her and where she ended up at. She went well, back, to, uh, back to Galena, Illinois. I know. Not, not Galena, Galva. Galva. Illinois, and that's where she lived yeah. out her life. I don't know how if she stayed there forever or anything. I mean, one one question we worked on on the show behind the scenes that I don't think we ever did anything with is trying to figure out um, where Howard was eventually buried. Because I know that the uh, the what remains they found were eventually given back to Carrie. My guess is she's is he's buried in an unmarked grave at Galva Cemetery someplace. The place lost all their records in a fire at some point. Of course they did. Of course. What about the daughters? Where did they go? They are still buried in Toronto. They, where he buried them, or they were buried? Uh, no, they, they were they were reburied. They're in the cemetery up there where the authorities had them buried, and it's uh, it's still an unmarked grave, but we know where it is. And he had left them in the build in the house in the house in Toronto, right? They were they were, they were like they were in a uh, shallow grave in a cellar, and there was there was even one thing Holmes wrote in one of his uh, various. Uh, confessions and articles, he said, you know, I'm supposed to be this master criminal, right? Do you really think a master criminal would have done such a bad job of getting rid of those bodies? I mean, they're uh, in a shallow grave in the basement of a rental property that other people are going to live in. It's amazing that it took as long as it did for them to be found, really. Why, did, why would he say something like that? Why, like, well, honestly, uh, by that point, I, I bet he wished he'd thought of that one earlier, because that was a kind of a fair point. At the time, he was trying to say, no, many did all of this. Oh, that's right. And so that would have been a fair point. I mean, if he's supposed to be this master criminal, you really think he would have done a better job. And also, if he if he really had this uh, building a state or so away, well, especially right after he killed Howard, he went back to Chicago. Um, if he really had this building that was set up with everything you need to kill a person and get rid of the body, he should have just taken him back to Chicago. And then dumped them down the chute and, and put him in and, the acid. So was there right. no acid? There was no lime? No acid. None of that. There was... There was some uh, lime that they found down in the basement. Uh, lime, quick lime doesn't really do anything. It doesn't. It wouldn't destroy a body in any way. No, it actually it actually uh, slows uh, decomposition of a body is is what they know now. But because of that, it kept things from smelling quite as bad, I guess. And were the rooms really lined in asbestos so that they were soundproof, like they said? There was there was one vault that was kind of soundproof. But especially the third floor wasn't a whole lot that was added last. It was the place that was the space that was supposed to be a hotel, but it wasn't much better than a paper mache facade, really. 
And he had thought the second floor was technically for him to live in, correct? The, the second floor was apartments. So he had an apartment there. Uh, the Quinlans had an apartment there. The Connors lived there for a while. There was a doctor named Dr. Lawrence who had a place there for a while. Oh, I guess I have another question. The first wife, Clara, it was uh, noted in several places that she was abused by H.H. H. Holmes. Is that true or not true? Yeah, the, uh, the when she went to uh, Ann Arbor with him, some of the people who lived in the same boarding house said that they would see her walking around with black eyes. She was smart and left anyway. Yeah, she she uh, she towards the end of his senior year, she just uh, took Robert and said, "Okay, we're going back to New Hampshire," and she only saw him again a couple of times after that. So she was this. Well, actually, both of the the, wife, the first wives were the smart ones to get out of it, and Georgiana uh, well, knew things were going on, but still didn't leave. Yeah, jo- Georgiana didn't find out, didn't really find out until Holmes was arrested. But she had her whole life wrapped up in this guy. I mean, she knew she knew that there was some. Uh, she there was a lot of there were a lot of red flags. I really feel like she should have noticed. Right, like she had inklings that something was going on. Yeah, but she but she she thought when when he went to prison in San in San St. Louis, he she threw a fit at the train station. My husband is being badly abused. This has all been a frame up. He had probably convinced her pretty well that people were just out to get him. So, what was the, who was the nail in his coffin that he confessed to killing people? What what put him, what what was his final thing? Like it wasn't just Georgiana. Well, Georgiana and Carrie's testimonies at the trial probably put the jury over the top. They were they were the two people that finished him off. They probably were. Yeah. Well, honestly, the, after the prosecution made their case, and he was only put on trial for the death of Benjamin Peitzel. Um, they tried to bring in stuff about the kids, too, but the judge ruled that's neither here nor there. Why? So, because it was out of their jurisdiction. Because wow. they were, they were uh, the girls were in Toronto, Howard was in Indiana. So, in theory, had Holmes been acquitted in Philadelphia, they would have just taken extradited him to Toronto or Indiana, and they would have been put on trial there instead. But the jury, there even was a juror who said, well, you know, maybe they didn't really prove that Peitzel was really the murderer. The defense didn't enter a case at all. The defense decided the prosecution had done such a bad job of, of establishing that Holmes was the murderer of Benjamin Peitzel that they would just rest immediately and quit while they were ahead. Which, given the caliber of lawyers that he had and the situation they were in, that was probably the strongest hand they could have played. One of his lawyers was very talented, but he was also like 22 and really inexperienced and underfunded. They lost the case just because the jury... So the jury, women. yeah, the jury, uh, well, they also, one of the jurors even said something like, well, we'd already heard all the other stories about this guy. So he was convicted in the papers before he, like, the jury. I'd, I'd say he was, yeah. I mean, a better lawyer probably could have gotten him another trial, but they never managed to pull that off. He would have been convicted somewhere anyway. And I had read somewhere that he was pretty stoic about it, like, yeah, I did it, it's time for me to go. In, in the end, yeah, he, he was resigned to it. I mean, he kept trying things to, like, drag things out longer. He like had a petition at the judge to give me an extra month so I can sort out some business here and like have I'll offer Carrie this and this that she'll help me out. Which I don't get it. You're going. You can't take it with you. What do you care about the money or the business or anything else at that point? Right. Really, he was just trying to get himself a few more weeks. And when he died, they said that he didn't die right away. That he had actually hung there for fifteen or twenty minutes or something. That true, was boss. Uh, basically true, but that was totally standard at the time. It was, if, you, if, you, if you read a lot of the cases, a, a lot of accounts of 19th century hangings, which I've read way more than I care to admit, it's, it's almost always they were still detecting a pulse after 15 minutes. The doctor said that his neck was broken, so he probably wouldn't have felt anything, but the body took a while to shut down. 
And I guess I'm very curious about the fact that he got to be buried deeper than typical. Like, what is it, normally six feet under or something? And uh, he was buried actually 10 feet. Yeah, five is closer to industry standard, really. Six is, um, there was once a grave, a grave digger who told me, if you think I'm digging people six feet down, you're watching too many westerns. So it's not real. It's closer to ten. So yeah, it was it was uh it was a way deeper grave. I think uh, Samuel Rotan, the uh the attorney that he had been working with, the more talented of the attorneys, uh seems to have set all of that up. But Holmes had been getting a lot of like offers from people who wanted to put his bones on display in a sideshow or something, and that didn't sit well with him. And there was also it was also just kind of a trend at the time that um wealthy people were being buried in giant blocks of cement. There had been a guy in New York a while back named A.T. Stewart. It was like the Marshall Field of New York. His body had been stolen out of the crypt and held for ransom. And then oh. there was a story about people trying to steal Abraham Lincoln and holding his body for ransom. So people like people were at least announcing they were being buried in giant blocks of cement to keep their families from having to go through that. He didn't do it. He didn't get any special treatment. They just did that just to protect the cemetery or whatever from having to possibly the cemetery. Possibly the cemetery. Again. Yeah, but the the word at the time was that it was his own request and that the lawyer Samuel Rotan made it happen. And for what reason? Just because he didn't? I mean, like he dissected other people. Why was he so worried about? Right. Himself? I don't. Yes. That's. Uh, so they, they do occasionally say it was because he was afraid of dissection, which he did dissect a lot of other people. But you also see a number of cases where medical students like tried to have themselves buried in safety coffins and things because they they'd seen dissection didn't want to be done to them, which is kind of hypocritical on their part. I was going to say the word that comes to mind is hypocritical. So like, right. what the hell? Okay, so then I guess you're friends with Jeffrey Mudgett currently, right? We get along like fine. Yeah, we, I, have, yeah. I haven't talked to him in a while, but we get along fine. I'm curious, and he still believes that his his great-great-grandfather could be Jack the Ripper. Yeah, we, we disagree historically, but we get along fine. That's so interesting. I want to talk to him, too, but I don't know that I'll get to. But I'm fascinated by the fact that, to me, just finding someone in my in my family tree, not necessarily a criminal or a murderer, but... Finding someone who played a significant role in history, like right. I don't need it. I don't need it to go the step level, the the next level up. Do you know what I mean? Like he's already right. related to H. H. Holmes. Why do you have to have this connection to Jack the Ripper too? I don't see the connection as much as as I watch it and as much as I read. It, to me, it just seems like they're two totally different people. Yeah. But I guess when you're deep into it, you can find things that aren't there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Well, thank you. You've been very helpful. I hope so. I hope so, yeah. I hope that I can do this story justice, because I don't think a lot of people know the story anymore, particularly people that don't live in Chicago. Right. In Chicago, we all know about it. Right. It's a thing. In Chicago. Well, here, we know everything about Charles Manson. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, here, when I say a Holmes, a lot of people don't know. And, again, it's 150 years ago or 140 years ago. 120, ago. 130. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a long time. And um, yeah. tell me about tell me about all the tours that you do in Chicago, though, because I do have listeners that are in Chicago and Illinois and Wisconsin. All right. Well, for the most part, I do cemetery tours, uh, but I also, in the summertime, I do one called H. H. Holmes: The Devil Downtown, which is a walking tour just in the loop where we trace his career through buildings that I can actually trace him to, some of which are even still standing. Um, and then it, uh, once or twice a year, I'll rent a bus and we'll do the big tour that goes down to the Murder Castle site, which is the post office. Yeah, which is where the post office is now. People still want to see the vacant lot near the post office. How did you get into this? I'm curious. I just kind of fell into it. it was, I'll, I'll start it with a Craigslist ad. Oh, no, you have to tell me more. 
Well, I got a job working with one of the ghost tour companies, but really where I got started on research was smartphones were coming out, and I was afraid people were going to start fact-checking me uh, just on their phones. And that kind of freaked me out because who knows uh, how, what the stories they were telling me, who knew, who, who knew whether the, even the historical parts were accurate. So I started doing the research and ended up rebuilding my tours kind of from the ground up. But just in the process of research, I would find so many other things that now I had other stories that I wanted to tell. And a lot of them didn't really fit into ghost tours because they weren't in haunted places necessarily. Well, cemetery tours kind of coalesces all of it. I'm, right, right now my big project is working on a, a new Who's Who book for Graceland Cemetery, which was founded by an H.H. Holmes swindling victim, in fact. Really? Yeah. I'm is that weird how it goes in a circle like that? It all kind of does, yeah. Now, why um, cemeteries? Do you believe that cemeteries are haunted? Um, I've never encountered anything that spooky there myself, but really it's just, it's perfect job for an old ADD kid like myself. I can just walk around and go, who is that guy? Who is that guy? Who is that? And I'm really <laughs> staying on task the whole time. I'm assuming if you do ghost tours, ghost tours, that you are a believer in ghosts. Uh, I let myself have fun with it. That's about as far as I'll say. Because I have obviously a fascination when I was a teenager, I was traveling with a group of friends and Every time we saw a cemetery, they'd go, look, cat, dead people and shit. And because I've always had this weird fascination with anything morbid or anything old, especially historic. And I'm right. sure it, it's so fun when I actually get to meet other people that are like me that, like, I don't think you're weird at all. And other people probably think, <laughs> like, they do me. Like, you're so weird. Why do you care about that stuff? But, so you, writ, you wrote the book, H.H. Holmes, The True Story of the White City Devil. It's available on Amazon. Where else was it available? Um, ch- check your local indie bookstore first and foremost. I don't know if it'll happen too much in California. Uh, just go to adamchicago.com. That'll link you to all of my tours, all of my books and everything. Okay. And then have you written any other books? Uh, I've got about 20 books total. I've done about, uh, about, about a dozen of them are Chicago history stuff or weird history things. Uh, then I used to do young adult novels for a living. Young adult books, you said? Yeah, I used to do young adult fiction back in the day. Really? I yep. think I read that, actually, but I didn't find any of the books when I was on your website. There's a couple of them that I still plug here. There's one called Just Kill Me that's about a ghost tour guide who tries to make places more haunted by killing people at them. Oh, my God, that's awesome. I might have to read that. When I get to Chicago again, and it's not in the middle of August, because both times I've been there, it's been ugly and muggy and hot. I yeah, will look you up. in the fall sometime. I know. I want to go on one of your tours. So I, there's actually a convention, I think, coming up next year in Chicago. So I may look you up. All right. Just let me know. Thank you. I really didn't oh, think you pleasure. would respond. I was like emailing you and I'm like, eh, he's too big. He's not going to respond. Nah, I'm just sitting in my apartment all day. Oh. You're awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye. A lot of times doing research, you end up with more questions than answers. I agree with Adam. H.H. H. Holmes wasn't Jack the Ripper, but he was a murderer and he took the lives of innocent people who got in his way. Whether it was at his publicized and widely blown out of proportion quote unquote murder castle or a basement in the middle of nowhere, he ultimately got the end that he did deserve. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to follow and comment on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. And remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.